I hope I'm not going to disappoint, but we're not going to do Nehemiah uh, this morning. So you can grab those message notes, uh, the outline in your bulletin, and just stick them in your Bible, and you can bring those next week uh, when Alan is back. But thank you guys, as Kevin uh, was sharing, thank you for your prayers uh, for this morning. Thank you for your prayers for uh, for the McWhites uh, while they're away. But uh, it was um, kind of late late yesterday that I realized I was going to be standing here before you this morning. And as I began to think about just what it is that I would uh, like to share, I had several thoughts that came to mind. And I'll be honest, the, the very first was partly because of just being pressed for time. Is there a message that I've done on a Sunday night that I could maybe just re-familiarize myself that most of you uh, probably would say that's not familiar and uh, that I could tweak and, and just work on that. And after all, I did have somebody say to me one time, you know, if a sermon's not worth preaching twice, it probably wasn't worth being preached once. So, um, so I, I have done that for this morning, but I, I, that was the first thought that went through my head. The other was I was thinking about this week and um, sitting right here where we are today were two funeral services for members of our church. And I was thinking about the fact that uh, on Tuesday, one for Paul Piper, another one for Lucian and Emily Lee on Thursday. And as is typical at funeral service for me, and I would imagine uh, for many of you too, I was just soberingly reminded of just the brevity of life. You know, how quickly our time on earth can go by and how the death of others has an amazing way, doesn't it, of just putting the stuff of life in perspective. And it makes us pause and to stop, even if it's just for a few moments, to stop and really uh, remember just how short life really is and to be reminded that there's not a one of us here today that's guaranteed tomorrow. And to reflect on the time that we have been given, how are we spending it and how are we investing that in the short years we have? And then the third thought that went through my mind related to sermon series that Alan has done, one on the life of Elijah uh, that he did uh, back in the fall and then obviously starting a new one on Nehemiah last Sunday. And I was thinking about all of these things and I was trying to make sense of how could some of these kinds of things come together and I landed uh, somewhere. I landed in the book of Proverbs. And um, it's a proverb that God had me spend some time on and had, had shared some thoughts on uh, time in the past. And, uh, but I also thought it was one in which as I thought about those people and as I thought about the sermon series that Alan has done, there was a common thread that ran through Paul's life and Lucian and Emily's life and Elijah and Nehemiah's Life, And so with that said, let me invite you uh, to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22 this morning. Proverbs chapter 22, we're going to look at one verse, the very first verse of the chapter. And while you're turning there, I, I, I came across this uh, a story about a gentleman. I don't know if this guy's name is familiar to many of you or not, but the name J. Paul Getty, uh, his life story and the tragic uh, kidnapping of his grandson was 
the story or the making of a movie that came out a couple years ago called All the Money in the World. And uh, in the 1970s, uh, if you're not familiar with who he was, he was one of the wealthiest private citizens on the planet. And he was a billionaire oil man and uh, as, who was, as one author wrote, a genius at business, but illiterate with respect to intimacy and family. He was a man who was consumed by greed, but he was also crippled with a deep sense of uh, insecurity. And so this combination of those things uh, drove him, if you will, and produced in him an insatiable appetite for more. And um, to pursue an earthly fortune to the neglect of his family, uh, he was married five times. Uh, his five wives gave him five sons, and uh, sadly, he attended none of their weddings. Um, his passion was for more of what the world could provide and, and motivated him to pursue and promote what he wanted to establish as a Getty dynasty. And, you know, in the end, he, he did. He created one. But the unfortunate, sad part of the story, it's a legacy, it's a dynasty that's, that's uh, um, characterized by one of dysfunction and drug and alcohol addiction and generations of broken relationships uh, for years and years. His own grandson said of his family legacy, we're like a theater for the media. The Getty name is one you can't get away from. And so in this life, J. Paul Getty was one who reaped what he sowed and, and he cultivated a reputation that'll forever be attached to his name to his name. And like a swimmer that was caught in an undertow, he was dragged away by the enticements and the allure of money and worldly possessions and he thought would provide him with the security and the significance and the favor that he thought it would provide. And he made a choice above all other things to pursue the riches of the world. And it was a decision that came with a very high price tag, one that his family for generations are still continuing to pay today. And so I share all that because in the same way, you and I have the opportunity to make a choice in our lives. We have the opportunity to make a choice. And like the traveler in Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken, you and I stand before, as he writes, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Two roads, but only one can be taken. The question is, which one will it be? And so this morning, I'd like to have us take a look at Proverbs 22, verse 1, that paints a picture of two roads that all of us must choose between, and one road that I believe, if heeded, will guide all of us toward a life where true wealth and true favor and blessing can be discovered. And it's here in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, in these few but critically important words that I want to camp out on this morning, the, the choices before us to explain why that is important and then how you and I can walk in a way of wisdom. So look with me here. These are the words of Solomon. He says this in verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better 
and silver and gold. Again, these are the words of Solomon who was the wealthiest man in the world. One of the wisest men in the world who later in his life realized maybe there's something else that's more worthy of our time, more worthy of our energy and our attention. And so this idea of a good name, I mentioned there was a common thread that ran through a number of these people that we remembered this week here at Taylor's as we think about Elijah, as we think about Nehemiah, you know, Paul Piper, Lucian and Emily Lee, as things were shared about their life this past week, it was evident that they were people who had lived a good life, that knew the Lord, that loved his church and loved this church. And so over a lifetime, invested their lives in ways that left them and built a reputation as those people with a good name. Elijah was a prophet that we remember uh, thousands of years later as a man through his faithfulness to God cultivated a good name. And it was Jim Valvano who once said, God must love ordinary people a lot because he made so many of them, right? And you know, that's, that's who Nehemiah was. Alan talked about that. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He said last week he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a professional minister. He was he was a cupbearer to the king. He had a high position in the king's palace and in his court. But he was a dedicated person who approached a difficult problem with a determined prayer. And so when you and I think about Nehemiah, we think of a man who has a good name. I mean, after all, he has a book of the Bible named after him, right? He has a good name, and he sent his life, spent his life in a way that over a lifetime cultivated that good name. He was a cupbearer to the king, and he wasn't just someone that tasted his food and wine to make sure the king wouldn't be poisoned, but he was also, that role was one of the most trusted advisors in the king's court. He was trustworthy, he was dependable, he was loyal, and he was chosen for that purpose because Nehemiah was one with a good name. And while I'm sure that life in the palace afforded him a lot of the pleasures and, and perks of royalty of that day, it was not enough to capture Nehemiah's heart. As Chip Ingram states in his book, Holy Ambition, Nehemiah was a man who had a dislocated heart. He had a heart that was dislocated for a need in a land that was far away in Judah. And while I'm sure he enjoyed and appreciated the good things of life like many of us do and the, enjoy the blessings that have come from God's hand in our own lives, he wasn't consent, content excuse me, to sit still and to be silent. Nehemiah was passionate about God's agenda in the world and the choices that he made and the path that Nehemiah pursued resulted in him cultivating this good name and a godly legacy. And I, I want you to know today that just like Paul Piper and the Lees and Elijah and Nehemiah, you too can have a legacy of a good name. And so let's look for just a moment at what Solomon says, a good name. That word good is in italics in my Bible. It's not in the original text, but it's a word that is implied 
by the writer here. And it's, a, it's kind of like saying, go make a name for yourself. In other words, go make a good name for yourself. Do well. And when you speak of someone's name in the Old Testament, it carried with it the connotation of one's uh, reputation, of, of a person's character. And Job mentioned that fools were those associated with being nameless and as those not remembered. And so having a good name then and now is valuable and it's worthy and it's an honorable thing in the eyes of God. And he says a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. He introduces a contrast or a comparison here between these two things. Uh, the, the New American Standard that I'm reading from says more desired than, but if you have an English Standard Version or the King James Version, it says rather to be chosen than, as in it's worth much more than. It far outweighs its opposite. And so in other words, because the value of a good name outweighs the value of earthly treasures, it's to be chosen, it's to be pursued over earthly wealth and things. And not just earthly wealth, but he says great wealth, as in a massive amount, one which Solomon certainly had in his possession. Now, to be fair, Solomon doesn't say that wealth is wrong. He doesn't say that anything is uh, bad inherently about riches, but he does say that we shouldn't compromise our reputation to pursue it. Paul said these words to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. He writes, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Life itself, the essence of what God considers to be life, is grounded in a life that is characterized by godliness and pursuing the good things of God and not the things of the world. He says also, favor is better than silver, or gold. And here Solomon introduces a second comparison. He says, favor is better. Uh, if you've got an NIV, it says it's to be esteemed. Uh, it's a word that means to be thought well of by other people or to be accepted in the eyes of others around you. That's what favor and esteemed means. And if you think about some characters of the Bible, think about Moses. Moses' name and reputation has lived on for centuries while scholars wrestle and debate over the, the real name of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. And interestingly, he was probably the wealthiest and most recognized person on planet Earth. And yet we remember Moses. The names of David's mighty men are recorded in the book of 2 Samuel, forever enshrined on the pages of Scripture. Jesus, our Savior, had no earthly riches, but his good name and favor exceeded all others. And so a good name is valuable because it wins affection and friendship, and it pays a much, much higher dividend than the riches of the world. And so I say all that to focus on these two questions 
in the remainder of our time. And the first is, why is a good name more desirable? And then number two is, how do you and I cultivate one? Let me give you three reasons quickly why a good name is more desirable. It's because a good name provides stability and security. A good name provides stability and security. Eugene Merrill, a professor of mine, wrote these words, a good name is an asset whose currency is unaffected by the boom or the bust of the material world. It's an asset that gives a man peace and satisfaction of mind, provides us security, something that riches cannot promise. If you flip a few uh, books back or chapters back, excuse me, to Proverbs 18, verse 11, he says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall, listen, in his own imagination. There's the perception, a misguided perception that it will give us security and safety and yet it's only in our imagination that that's true, says Solomon. A good name is associated with one's integrity, and that provides security. In Proverbs 10, verse 9, the Bible says, He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will be found out. And so walking in integrity brings us security, but the one whose name is soiled finds it difficult to rebuild trust and an honorable reputation with others. Think about King David. King David has a good name. He's called a man after God's own heart, and yet I would imagine it's difficult for many of us to think about King David and not consider what he did to and with Uriah and Bathsheba, right? He had to work overtime to overcome those who questioned his motives based on past actions. And so a good name provides us with stability and security. Second, a good name is eternal. A good name is eternal. Earthly things are temporary and fleeting. They can be with us one minute and they're gone the next. Proverbs 23, 5, when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. On the other hand, a good name is something that can outlive you. And I remember walking through a place uh, uh, overseas. We were in England about two or three years ago in a place called Stourhead Gardens. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I, I saw this inscription uh, in the gardens there. It said, a good life hath but a few years, but a good name endureth forever. And it's so true. Think about the Apostle Paul. People through history think about Martin Luther. Think about John Wesley or Charles Spurgeon or George Mueller or C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham. All are people from ancient days to the modern era. When we think of their name, we say this is a, a good man with a good name. A good name is eternal. And then third reason that it is more desirable is a good name brings loving favor. And I, I wrote this, people will love you for having integrity. And I, I have to qualify most of the time, but God will always love you for being a man or a woman of integrity. 
They most often, and he will appreciate the kindness, the mercy, the generosity, and attention to others' needs that you show. And people will stay by your side when you struggle, when you're someone with a good name. You know, the Gospels tell us that Jesus, he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And it also says uh, in the same chapter of Luke chapter 2, the grace of God was upon Jesus. That he who cultivates a good name will be the beneficiary of the grace of God. And so a good name provides stability and security. It's eternal. It brings loving favor. But how do you cultivate one? How do we cultivate a good name in our life? Let me mention for you just a few things. Number one, be attentive to God. Be attentive to God. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, you remember the story of Samuel, verse 10, it says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Multiple times he hears the voice and he gets up and runs to figure out what's going on. And, and so it's a picture of he's, he's listening, he's attentive to the voice of God and wants to hear and if he wants to respond when God is speaking to him. And God wanted to say something to Samuel. And you know what? God wants to say something to you too. God wants to say something to me, and God wants us to be attentive to his voice. And I'm, I believe that God can speak to us in a lot of different ways. I do. I think primarily God speaks to us through the word of God. And the other ways that I'll mention I think he speaks to us will always align themselves. And that's why I say primarily through the scriptures he will always lead us well and in the right place and will never tell us something that's contradictory to what he tells us in the word of God. Second Timothy chapter three says God's word is profitable for us to reprove us and to teach us, to correct us, to train us up, to walk in righteousness and to live the life that God has called us to live. And so God speaks to us through the Bible and that's why we preach and teach the Bible here at Taylor's First Baptist. But you know, God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to our spirit that God has given to us. Romans 1 speaks about a conscience that God has given, and the Spirit of God, I believe, can speak to that. That we may know Him and discern right from wrong. I think God speaks through community. God didn't create any of us to live this spiritual life as lone rangers, but He's called all of us to be a part of a body. And so we need one another, and we need to remind ourselves that we need each other on a regular basis, that God didn't give any one of us a corner on the truth or all of the gifts that, that the body of Christ, just like our physical body and different parts function in, in sync with one another. That's how God has put us together, and we need community because yeah, we're wired to be attached to each other, and it's through community spiritual community where the wisdom of God can come through other people to speak into our life where we may have blind spots, we may be seeking wisdom, and we may be deaf to what he's saying, but maybe through a friend, through someone that we're spending time with, God may whisper a word of wisdom to help lead us and guide us in a time of need. I think God speaks to us through our circumstances and experiences of life, and I think that's why so many people would look back as part of their story of coming to Christ, how God uses hardship, even tragedy, to open our eyes to our need 
our deepest spiritual need for the Lord. And so being attentive to God is essential if we're going to cultivate a good name. Second, be available to God. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. I had a friend in Dallas, have a friend in Dallas. His name is Joel Householder. He said something I'll never forget uh, as he was talking about evangelism years ago. I've shared this often. He says, 90% of evangelism, David, is just showing up. It's just being available. And I've applied that. I think it applies to all of life and of ministry in general. I think it applies to the pursuit of a good name as being available for God. And time, if you will, is our most valuable asset. And that's something that was, I was reminded of as I sat at these services remembering some wonderful saints who've gone to be with the Lord in the last week. But you know, Time is our most valuable asset. Paul said this to the Ephesians in chapter 5, Walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And you know what? We can't do that if we don't take time to make ourselves available for God to use us, which is a second way that we cultivate a good name. The third way is to be active for God. We're attentive to God, to be available for God, but the third is to be active for God. And it's once that we're available, God can then call us into action. He can get us into the game, if you will. And our reputations, if you think about it, are really forged by a couple of things. Number one, our actions, what we do. And second, what other people have to say about us. That's our reputation. And so in order to cultivate a good name requires that we live an honorable life. Listen, the seven verses, eight verses after uh, the one we're looking at today in verse 9, he says, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. You know, generous giving is one of our core values here at Taylor's, and we want people to be generous not just with their earthly treasures, but with their time and their talents and with truth and with relationships to practice what it means to be a generous person. And God tells us that when we're that way, blessing will follow. Another way is, uh, is how we speak of and to one another. In the book of James, chapter 3, he writes, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And Proverbs twenty-two eleven says, Favor that is given to the one who speaks well of others. When Solomon writes, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. To be attentive, to be available, to be active, and lastly, to be attached to others. I alluded to this in talking about community, but be around other people who have the reputation of building and have a good name in the eyes of others. It was St. John of the Cross who said, The virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. In time, it will grow colder rather than hotter. And he's right. Because obviously our character is shaped through time spent in many ways in the presence of and with others. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character. 
I think the opposite of that is true, that good company it doesn't corrupt but helps reinforce and develop good character. If you think about people in your life, I'm, I'm a better person, I'm a better Christian as I stand here before you today because of people like Afoad Ferris, because of a Roy Robertson that came into my life, because of a, a pastor I serve named Bill Himmel, because of my wife, Chambly, and my mom, and my dad, and my grandparents, and all are people that I have spent a lot of time with, people that have encouraged me, people that have spoken hard words to me, people that have given advice, and you know what? You have them too. And it's so important for us to be attached to other people. If we want a good name for ourselves, the company that we keep will help shape that reputation in a profound, profound way. And lastly, to be humble and teachable unto God. First Peter chapter 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And with humility comes honor. And there's blessing and there's favor from God when we think of ourselves a little less and acknowledge the greatness of God even more. And so let me, let me add two thoughts right here real quickly. As I share this, as you think about your life, as you think about your name, some of you may say, David, my name's been tarnished. I've messed up. I want but don't have a good name. If that's rattling around in your head, let me just, let me remind you sincerely the amazing grace of God at the cross of Jesus. I mentioned Moses earlier. He developed a good name after he murdered an Egyptian, spent 40 years running away in the desert. David, a man after God's own heart, had to rebuild his reputation. He did so, but only after he was repentant of killing Uriah and taking his wife Bathsheba. And the Apostle Paul, who I would imagine is probably in the estimation of most people, the greatest missionary to ever serve God's church was before he was that person. He was one of the greatest persecutors of God's church. And so whoever you are and wherever you are, no matter what you have done, I want you to know that the grace of God offers you forgiveness and a fresh start. It's never too late to humble yourself before the Lord and to start again, to start today. And others may say, David, hey, I want a good name for me and for my family, but I haven't inherited one. Rather, I inherited one like the Getty family. You can't get away from it. Let me remind you of something that Alan mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about the gospel, and that is not to underestimate the power of one. The power of one life, your life, not to underestimate the power of your life to turn things around, to draw a new line in the sand and to humble yourself before the Lord and to say, God, I know the legacy that I have come after and I want to change that. And it begin, may begin with you. And may God give you the courage to draw that line in the sand. And as you do that, I believe the scriptures that I've shared with you earlier will confirm that God's blessings will come as you 
take that step. And I think as we continue in the weeks ahead looking at the life of Nehemiah, I think these characteristics of how you develop a good name could all be attributed to his life. He was one who was attentive to God. He was available to God. He acted for God, and he attached himself to others and was humble before him. And that's why we remember him today. And so as I close, let me, let me show you something that I brought with me. It sits on my desk. And when I got my very first position working in a church, my mom and dad got a nameplate made for me that I have on my desk in my office. And it just simply says, David M. Klein, Jr., It says junior on there because there was a senior before me. My name is David Martin Klein, Jr. My dad was David Martin Klein, Sr. And I was away over the weekend, um, and I honestly, before I even knew this was going on, I was, was going to be here sharing about this. I was thinking about my dad. And I'll, from time to time, go... Uh, over to his gravesite where he's laid to rest. And, and I'll find myself uh, praying and praising and thanking God for a father who gave me a good name. I know he's not there. His body is there. He's in the presence of the Lord. And I will see him again. But I find myself praising God in moments like that for a good name that was passed to me. And one of the goals and responsibilities and desires of my heart is to pass along a good name to my children, that for generations that will follow, the same could be said of them as I can say of my dad. And on his gravestone are, is one of the verses, it's there, it says, it's from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, one verse I'm sure is familiar to many of you. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And that was something that my dad did well. He didn't do it perfectly. I don't want to do it perfectly, and you won't either. But you know what? He did it well. My dad did it well because he was attentive and available and active and attached himself to good people. And so I began by sharing some words from Robert Frost's poem. Let me read to you his conclusion as he looked down the road that bent under the, around the undergrowth. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And then I took the other as just as fair. And both that morning equally lay in leaves that no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first one for another day. And yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere, ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And so let me encourage you today, as you think about these words of wisdom from Solomon to choose the path that will take you down 
the road of cultivating a good name. And God in His Word assures you and me that if we do, it'll make all the difference. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for the Word of God. We're grateful today for the Word of God that speaks to us in the midst of our circumstances and life experiences thousands of years after it was penned. Lord, I thank you for Solomon's encouragement because every one of us in this room knows the allurements of the world that entice us to invest our time and to make choices to pursue things that are temporary. Lord, I pray for myself and for my friends here today that, Lord, you would give us a mind and a heart to choose those things that would help us to develop a good name. That, Lord, our hearts would desire that more than the things that this world could throw our way. And that, Lord, help us, God, as we consider how we do that to to be attentive. Lord, as you speak to us, may we hear. Lord, may we make ourselves available to you. That as we do that, you may call us to action. And Lord, I pray that we would surround ourselves and be attached to people in this body that can help us to pursue that which Solomon calls us to pursue. And that, Lord, it would make a difference not only in our lives, but, Lord, for those who come after us. So help us, Lord. We can't do that by ourselves. We need your power and we need your strength. And we ask for it. And we praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said together,